0: Welcome nerds. It's time to debrief you on the world of pop culture. Loading up rockabilly track. Now fusing DNA with bloodthirsty animal. Preparing updates on movies, TV, wrestling and more. ANS 5.0 activates in 3, 2, 1. Welcome to the amazing nerd show. Hey, is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is The Amazing Nerd Show. This week, we're gonna be
1: breaking down episode two of Moon Knight. And Christian took one for the team
0: and saw (laughs) Morbius, so he'll have a film review for us. Damn right, plus we're gonna be talking our favorite moments from WrestleMania 38. All right, but before we move on, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, give us a five-star review and DM us a screenshot. Not only will we read it
1: on the show, but we'll send you some amazing nerd show swag. Let's get into the news. Every week, we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters. We're mere podcasters with opinions. All right, Christian, a quick disclaimer before we get into the news. Uh that there's just not much of it. Uh, I was really expecting there to be like a Thor Love and Thunder trailer that would drop this week, especially since they're, it seems like they're starting to like kick up press for that, you know, mm. film. Uh, and it's only like three months away at this point <laughs> in July, which uh-huh. totally caught me off guard. I, I forgot that the film was coming out this summer for some reason. I thought it was coming out of the winter, um, but yeah, th- there's hardly anything to talk about this week so you know and we're recording this as of thursday so maybe perhaps there'll be a trailer by friday if so you'll hear us you know awkwardly you know pop in eventually (laughs) (laughs) in the middle of the news which we've been known to do in the past uh but for right now there's really only two stories worth talking about which is crazy But anyway, I digress. Uh, First up, Marvel leak spoils Daredevil and Kingpin's next MCU appearance.
0: So it looks like a costume designer decided to update their resume a little too soon as a report coming from CBR.com shows Stacey Caballero put down costumes for Charlie Cox and Vincent D'Onofrio to be in the Echo series. So, you know, rest in peace to Stacey Caballero's costume career, at least within the Marvel Universe. Well,
1: I hope (laughs) Kevin Foggy is not that like cold that he's, like, going to destroy someone's career over a little fuck-up. But we know that Marvel definitely runs a tight ship. (laughs) So, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't hear her name ever again. Uh (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's just crazy that, like, these scoopers are getting their hands on things like resumes and, like, diving that deep to get, you know, that juicy scoop. Um, But, you know, to each his own. It gives us something to talk about, I guess. I'm not surprised at all By this news, I mean, from what even like casual fans saw in like the Hawkeye show, you know how intertwined Echo's story is with Kingpin. And obviously, if you're a fan of the comics, you know what an integral role Daredevil and Kingpin play in Echo's origin story. So, I mean, it only makes sense that they would show up, you know, in her series. I feel like even just watching Hawkeye, you definitely could figure Kingpin showing up. Exactly. I mean, I could see how some people could be confused because at the end of the series, it does seem like Kingpin, you know, dies at the hands of Echo in that alley. But as we all know with the comic book genre, if you don't see a body, they're not dead. So,
0: um, (laughs) right? Right. With with Kingpin, you would have heard a thump, too, like it wouldn't have been a quiet <laughs> landing.
1: <laughs> That's true, Christian. <laughs> While I said I wasn't necessarily surprised by this news, I'm definitely excited by this news because it just means that we're going to get more of you know these two awesome characters, along with the fact that they might actually be rebooting the Daredevil series shortly. Now, I think we talked about this before. Are you all for a reboot or do you want to see them just carry on the story that we got from the Netflix series? Because it seems like a lot of fans want that show to be in continuity. Um, I really kind of want Kevin Focke to have a fresh start with the characters. um, But what do you think?
0: I think I would be happy with them doing a fresh start just so that they can truly integrate it with everything that they've been working on. But at the same time, I wouldn't be upset if they just carried on from where they left off. I don't like it wouldn't bother me to the point because I know, you know, this version of Kingpin definitely is stronger, more comic book accurate compared yeah. to that one. But I feel like it could still find a way like, oh, maybe we they, they were just nerfed here. You know, I don't know. Yeah, it feels like they'd have to do some like
1: writing gymnastics to get uh-huh. that, you know? <laughs> to make sense. Uh, but I don't know, like, maybe he was out, you know, honing his skills with the hand or something like that. Because he definitely feels like he's had an upgrade of some sort. Because if Mm -hmm. this Kingpin faced off with Daredevil in the Netflix series, Daredevil would be fucking toast. Like, there's no (laughs) way he'd be able to survive him. Um, You know, and maybe they do the same thing for Daredevil. Maybe they upgrade him and his powers. Uh, But who knows? I I, I don't know. I I just I kind of want to see Kevin Foggy's take on Elektra and Bullseye and, you know, not him to have his hands tied with, like, continuity. Like, I like the idea of him bringing in, like, those, you know, talented actors who played the roles on the Netflix shows, but just kind of like, you know, putting his spin on those characters.
0: I agree because there's a lot that the Daredevil series did well. That's why we all enjoyed it so much. But at the same time, yeah, like I I wouldn't mind them rebooting fucking Punisher and all that stuff. Like a lot of these characters could be redone in a better way to make it seem like it at least existed at the same time as a lot of these other Marvel characters. And
1: maybe. It's a product of me not being a huge fan of like the Electra story (laughs) arc or, Uh you know, how they really handled, you know, Bullseye. And maybe they do something where they just kind of allude to the character's history, like before they popped up in the MCU and just kind of leave it a little murky. Um, That way they can have their cake and eat it too uh, and please everyone. But I mean, who knows? All right, up next, Warner Brothers reportedly held an emergency
0: meeting on Flash star Ezra Miller. So reports coming in from Rolling Stone that meetings have been going on over at Warner to discuss pausing any and all future projects with Ezra Miller due to the recent legal actions taken against him. An inside source has also told Rolling Stone that Ezra Miller has been problematic on set with frequent meltdowns. So and actually, since this story has
1: been reported, Warner Brothers has actually come out and kind of rebuked it, uh, claiming that this story is exaggerated um, and no such meetings have actually taken place. But a lot of sites are quick to point out that you know the source of this story, the person reporting it, is like highly credible uh, and you know scooped you know huge stories in the past. But I mean, people have been known to be wrong also. Um, so a lot of people are thinking that Warner Brothers is going into like PR mode right now, which is kind of weird because you think they would want like the public to think that they're actually meeting about this situation Uh (laughs) because it is pretty (laughs) fucked up right (laughs) i mean what's going on with ezra man what the hell (laughs) i mean we had that story from like was it
0: like a year or two ago
1: where he got into that like fight with some like female at a bar yeah and like grabbed her by the throat and there's actually like, like video And I think Mm -hmm. we joked about it at the time that he must have some kind of like blackmail on the Warner Brothers executives that like nothing happened um, to him. And they went full steam ahead with the Flash film um, because it feels like that would just be a PR nightmare and they'd want to wash their hands of that situation. I mean, a lot of people have been canceled over a lot less um right or wrong (laughs) so uh so it was a little weird that like he kind of walked away unscathed after that story but i didn't hear anything about him having restraining order put on him from some couple that he allegedly like jumped through their bedroom window and threatened to burn them alive pretty fucking insane like are we sure that this is the flash and not professor zoom
0: yeah, I was, I was gonna say it's like, was it reverse flash? <laughs> not, to not, yeah, up I know, his life right? again, like,
1: not, not, that's a big light of the situation. But I mean, yes. I just hope that Warner Brothers aren't being like enablers, you know, because he definitely needs help. So I hope they're able to like facilitate that for him. And this is in a situation where they're more worried about like their bottom line, which I'm sure it probably is, unfortunately, because that's corporate America but i mean they have a lot invested obviously in this flash film um Mm -hmm. and they definitely like took a gamble by ignoring the first incident and you know just they kept on moving on um but yeah i mean he's super talented i love him as the flash so i just don't know what warner brothers is gonna do about the situation because i don't know where warner brothers goes from here because this is just a mess, right? You know, and there's, of course, you know, all these incidences, well, except for the first one, because that was actually caught on camera. But, and of course, there's, you know, two sides of every story. Um, But, I mean, the first incident is literally caught on tape, so I don't know. Um, I'm wondering if Flash getting, like, the date pushed back to next year had something to do with, like, you know, maybe they had an inkling like, of his behavior, and they were concerned about it, you know, um, you know, but, I mean, that, they would have to have a crystal ball, I guess, for that, though,
0: but it's just Mm -hmm. crazy
1: that that film was supposed to come out, like, this year, and it's been pushed back to next summer, um, so, I, I don't know, uh, and, like I said, I mean, most importantly, like, we've got to worry about, like, his health and, you know, Mm -hmm. his victims, which is just insane to say, alleged victims, But, like, what do you think Warner Brothers does with, like, The Flash at this point? Do they try to proceed like nothing has happened? Or do they try to change direction with the character? Can they, like, salvage the film?
0: Or do you think this is, like, too much of a PR nightmare for them? Well, it's just like you said, they... They gambled a lot with this next project because it seems like it's tied into you know several other ones. With you know yes. the inclusion of Michael Keaton's Batman now showing up in what Batgirl and uh Supergirl and all that, whatever other projects they have attached to this at this point. Um, I don't know if you do a situation where you take an extra year, you add in you know clips and stuff that feature more of those characters that you're trying to build on and less off of the of this. Flash. And less of The Flash, but I feel like you'd have to change the name yeah. of the film to something else. I mean, I feel like at this point, you do more Michael Keaton Batman in the film. You like put all the marketing and everything towards him. Revolving and around that becomes... like Batman, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, they know that makes money. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just
1: make it a, a total Batman film that just happens to co-star The Flash, right? And they just use him kind of as a vehicle to get to this version of Batman. And just have it be. I, I That could work. You know? I mean, that's a lot more money that they're going to have to put in the project. Because that's a lot more additional scenes, I'm sure. I mean, you know, Ezra Miller's all over this movie. I mean, I think there's like two versions, right? We saw in the trailer. Uh-huh. There's two flashes. You know, and Ezra Miller's playing both of them. So... Yeah, I mean, you could change the title to, like, Crisis on Infinite Earths or, you know, Flashpoint, although that still feels a little too Flash, you know, probably. Mm -hmm. You're not really fooling anyone there. Uh, You could also do something where you introduce a new version of Barry, since it is a multiverse tale, and have him be a variant, you know, where you have a new actor take on that role. You know, maybe, like, refilm some things with this new actor. You know, have him show up as Ezra Miller first, and then at some point, you know, you have this, like, transition. Um, A lot of people have been rallying around the idea of Grant Gustin, you know, the CW's Flash, taking over the role um, from Ezra. I think they'll probably go with, like, a bigger name, most likely. Um, But who knows? I mean, he's great in the role, so, you know, maybe they go that direction. I mean, we do know that he technically exists in their multiverse because they did have Ezra and Grant meet on, like, an episode mm-hmm. of The Flash before. So, I mean, I don't know. There's so many different directions they could go in. Um, but, I mean, I guess what's most important, though, is that Ezra gets help,
0: you know? <laughs> um, you know, because obviously something something's going on. Yeah, and I am, I am genuinely, like, scared that Warner is the type of company to just push it under the rug and hope another controversy just distracts everyone like I feel like they're the type to sit it out and wait a news cycle
1: and hope that it goes away exactly. yeah. mm-hmm. and that's kind of what it felt like happened with the first you know incident and who knows I mean he committed a crime here like jumping in through someone's window and threatening them so he might have to do jail timer you know and mm-hmm. I mean rightfully so I mean, imagine being that couple and fucking Ezra Millett jumps through your bedroom window and threatens to burn you. I mean, holy shit. What the fuck just happened, right? And I don't know, like, what was the backstory of everything? Like, was it a couple that he knew? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, don't
0: know. <laughs> I don't know if he actually knew it's them.
1: Fucking crazy. You know, I mean, it doesn't matter regardless,
0: but mm-hmm. just
1: insane. So, I mean, I, de- I definitely don't envy Warner Brothers right now.
0: I just hope they make the right choice. Whatever that may be. And as we mentioned up front, some additional stories came out while editing the show, so here's a couple more for you. HBO Max is all in on superhero projects, as Variety reports an Aqualad origin story is in the works. Renowned actress Charlize Theron, um, amongst several others, is set to produce a version of the newer Aqualad young adult story, You Brought Me to the Ocean, by Alex Sanchez and Jewel Morrow. Set to be kind of like a dramedy series, as Variety put it, um, following the life of Jake Hyde, a a teenager living in new mexico with a yearning to escape his desert surroundings it will be a like full origin story exploring jake learning to control water and all of his other abilities um, no word on a release window yet but it does join several other projects that are currently in the works for hbo max who's coming next to the streaming service keep following along with us here on the amazing nerd show to find out um, quick couple other bullet points here this week. Doctor Strange is about to blow the box office out of this universe, as projected by BoxOfficePro.com. They believe the ticket sales are already looking at anywhere between 165 million and 205 million, and that's just a guess so far. Um, could Doctor Strange surpass Spider-Man's 260 million this year? I definitely think it could, especially while you know everyone's still on the high from you know, No Way Home. And speaking of Spidey. Into the Spider-Verse's Oscar-winning co-director Peter Ramsey is on to direct an episode for the Star Wars Ahsoka series coming to Disney+, Plus, which could possibly lead to more as we've seen with several other directors from those Mandalorian episodes. So we'll see what he can do with a live-action series here. All right, Christian, without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into episode two of Moon Knight. Warning spoiler alert, major spoilers for Moon Knight ahead. You have been warned. Hi, Steven. What the hell are we wearing?
1: I don't know. She said I needed a suit. Yeah,
0: the ceremonial armor from Conscious Temple, not Psycho Colonel Sanders. Well, I don't know how any of this shit works. I do look sharp though. Alright. Episode 2 picks up with Steven waking up abruptly in his bed after being saved by Mark at the museum. Steven, however, is not convinced this time that it was only a dream, berating himself in the mirror attempting to reach out to Mark. Getting back to the museum, Steven finds it in disarray after last night's events. Running into the security guard, Steven learns that the museum thinks it was some burst pipes that led to the damage, but wanting to show others what happened to him, Steven encourages the security guard to go through last night's surveillance footage. In the footage, we find out that the beast sent after him is invisible to the average person, which makes the damage, you know, unfortunately look completely as if it was all Steven's fault. So when they first viewed this video footage, I was actually really excited
1: because I thought they were still kind of playing it like ambiguous, like there's still a chance it could be in Steven's head, everything that happened, Um, you know, kind of leaving you like questioning it. At least for, you know, a couple more episodes, because I've always really enjoyed that element of Moon Knight, especially earlier on, you know, in the character's history, where you're really never quite sure what's real and what's not. But as we find out later on in the episode, that doesn't look like it's going to be the case at all,
0: which I was honestly kind of disappointed with. I definitely felt like this show was going to structure itself maybe a little bit more like WandaVision did, mm-hmm. where they're going to go a little bit wonkier and do things... Different, where it's but... a little more of a mind trip, like you're not yeah. quite sure where they're going and everything. And there's
1: still that, you know, element being played with, but, you know, not to that level of Wada vision.
0: Ultimately, the events of the prior day lead Steven to getting fired as he has no way of proving he didn't cause any of that damage. Steven, in his lowest moment, returns to the living statue in the park to unload and vent. And we actually get to see the statue man break from his routine when Steven hugs him. Whether or not this is going to be an actual friend of Steven's or someone who actually cares about him, we'll find out in the future. Well, I think I mentioned it last episode that, you know, Crawley in
1: the books is, you know, kind of a informant of sorts for the Jake Lockley um, personality of Moon Knight. So I'm hoping they use this character to reveal that, you know, that not only are there two personalities living in, you know, Stephen or Mark's head, that there's actually a third personality living in Stephen's head. Mostly because I want to see Oscar Isaac have to pull off, like, another accent. (laughs) Because he's just acting the shit out of this role. I love, like, his performance here. Um, It'll be fun to see them just
0: introduce that third personality and, you know, them just have to deal with it. Now with no job, Steven heads out to find what this mystery key he found in his apartment unlocks as he goes to a storage facility that was labeled on the key. Inside Locker 43, we find what looks like an ex-military haven filled with weapons and a cot, plus Mark Spector's US passport and the scarab that Mark stole in Episode 1. Upon activating the scarab, Steven quickly notices that the flying scarab works similar to how a compass would, yet it's not really pointing north. And as he begins to move with it, Mark then steps in through this kind of reflective surface that's in the container, asking to take control of the body so he can kind of sort out all this mess on Steven's behalf. I just love how they're using these reflections
1: to, you know, have Oscar Isaac, you know, act with himself. I just think using these reflections is such a creative choice and it just adds such a
0: great layer to Isaac's, like, performance. Steven at this point just wants answers though, and gets Mark to begin to explain who he actually is, which Mark claims to be Khonshu's avatar, giving justice to those who hurt the innocent. Steven isn't pleased by the information he's being given though. Starting to panic and not fully believing the voice in his mind, Steven begins threatening to get himself arrested, you know, and locked away and hopefully heavily medicated. But as Steven begins leaving, Khonshu begins chasing. I just love that Steven said fuck it and just start to run. (laughs) uh-huh
1: <laughs> but you're right i wasn't prepared for that freeze frame either though. yeah because there's also another moment where they kind of go into like slow motion in this uh episode yeah you know, it, it just feels like stylistically very like 70s to me which i'm cool with uh but yeah no i just love that he just goes ahead and takes off like where the fuck is he running to like what's he gonna do with this bag? like it's just uh, a total like flight situation for him Um, There's no fight in him whatsoever. I mean, obviously that's all Mark you know, that personality, Uh, but you know, you're right. Like it's a straight horror movie at that point, you know, where you see all the lights go off and you see Kanshu kind of coming down the hallway at him. Um, Just a great
0: scene. Escaping the storage facility, Steven stumbles and literally falls in front of Layla, the woman he had been on the phone with the previous day when he had activated Mark's phone. Layla is completely convinced that the entire Steven personality is an act as she goes on raving about how worried she was and unveils that she was actually married to Mark. I mean, the fact that they
1: were married and she knows nothing of Steven raises a lot of questions.
0: Like, How long did he hide Steven or when did when was the Steven persona created? Exactly. Like, is this a new personality that's just recently developed or is it
1: a personality that Mark's been repressing this entire time? And maybe due to traumatic events that happen. When he's on a mission, the mission that probably is when he's introduced to Kanshu that they kind of like briefly allude to later on in the
0: episode. Um, maybe he loses control. Steven, who is desperately trying to explain that he isn't Mark, has them go to his flat. At his flat, it seems we start to find, you know, these connections between Steven's personality and Layla, with them, you know, sharing a lot of common traits and interests, even languages that they speak that Layla points out Mark never you know actually knew. Yeah, they bring up a poem, right? And, you know, maybe this is like his subconscious like yearning for her. I either figured that it was, you know, Mark wanting some version of her or like his subconscious remembering her. And that's how a lot of, you know, Stephen's personality got formed. I don't know. Could be. Finding out more about Layla, we learned that she had been helping Mark with his adventures and was originally on the quest to find the scarab with Mark. But it seems Mark left her behind at some point, likely for her protection, as when she finds the scarab in Stephen's flat, she goes on about how she feels betrayed by Mark. Yeah, and obviously they've been having issues
1: because she actually brings him divorce papers to sign. And from what we gather from what you know, Mark is trying to desperately like communicate to Stephen, It's, and I'm sure you're going to get into it, but it seems like he's really trying to
0: protect her from, you know, Harrow's um, cult who's coming after him, so... Mark, while this is all happening, is trying to get Steven to just stop and keep Layla completely out of it, as he believes the scare will only put her in danger. But Steven thinks she is the only one who may be able to help him understand what's actually going on here, so he keeps her in the loop. But this interaction gets interrupted when police officers show up at Steven's door. Yeah, these cops were shady as all hell. You knew right away they were oh, yeah. involved <laughs> with the cult,
1: right? <laughs> There's no exactly. big surprise
0: here. Two detectives barge their way into Steven's flat as Layla hides with the scarab. Stephen believing that these two are there to investigate him you know about the museum incidents you know tries really hard to explain the situation. The detectives are barely listening though and are clearly digging through Steven's place looking for something. They end up going through Mark Spector's items that Stephen had brought home finding Mark's passport. Claiming that having this passport is grounds to bring him in Stephen begrudgingly goes with the two of them as he has no way of explaining why he has a fake passport. On the road the detectives actually look up Mark Spector's records in the police database and find that he is a wanted fugitive. Mark had been working as a mercenary and killed a whole lot of people in Egypt. Steven, on the other hand, is shocked at what Mark has been capable of doing. So I'm guessing that the incident that they show
1: here is actually tied into Moon Knight's origin story, um, you know, where he's on a mercenary mission. With a group, and this other character, Bushman, like betrays them, leaves them all for dead, and then Mark gets saved by Khonshu. So it might not be what it seems, you know, where he's not this like cold hearted, ruthless killer mercenary. Um, You know, he's not responsible for, you know, all these dead
0: archeologists. No, he just has poor, you know, communication skills so far. Obviously. (laughs) And some other issues. After the officers bring him to a mysterious location, it's clear that they are working with Arthur. And once alone in the car, Mark again asks for control of the body to get them out of this situation. But Stephen refuses, stating that he will never give Mark control again after, you know, learning what he did about executing scientists. And while this is happening, it turns out that Arthur was listening in on one of the radios that the detectives left in the car.
1: Well, Steven's a better man than me because if I was in this situation, I would absolutely give control over to Mark.
0: <laughs> Fuck that shit. I mean, it's hard cuz it's it's also his body. It's like knowing that someone else is controlling it and then killing people. I understand that, but he's about to die here, right? So, I mean <laughs>
1: Right. And obviously it's some shady ass cult. He knows that he, he witnessed, uh-huh. you know, what this guy can do. So fuck that shit. Get out alive.
0: <laughs> Arthur, as if he can actually see and hear Khonshu, reassures that Khonshu, even though he is egging on Stephen to kill him, can't actually control Steven's actions. So
1: I'm not going to lie. Like, I'm not a fan of Khonshu's voice here. You know, it's just I, I, it's almost too over the top. And I almost feel like they're playing for laughs where I wish they were kind of like leaning more into like the horror aspect of the character, you know, and make it more terrifying because I'm just getting bad like Venom flashbacks. Like, are you getting that at all? I don't. I, I'm
0: not getting Venom flashbacks. I mean, just the way
1: it's being played, like the, I, I, it's like almost too much.
0: Fair enough. But I feel like, you know, in this episode, at least the characterization seems pretty cool and still very terrifying. So I'm. <laughs> I'm into that. And
1: maybe Venom is a bad comparison because it's it's definitely not that awful. But I don't know. There's like just this kind of like, I don't know, cheesiness to it. And like I said, maybe I've just been scarred by Venom, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, it doesn't help that, you know, a lot of what we've seen of this character so far has been temper tantrums and, you know, like, just like, oh, I'm upset that I'm not getting my way mm-hmm. type of, you know, lines, but maybe as things go on. No, and I hope so. Maybe I'm judging too quickly because
1: I love the the look, you know, of the character like that's stripped mm-hmm. straight from the comic books. So, I mean, visually, he's horrifying. It's just like the voice doesn't necessarily match
0: the look like the visuals, steven then finds himself in arthur's community as arthur explains how through the power of ahmet he was able to help save these people arthur begins telling steven all about khonshu and how he was banished by the other gods and not respected by them whatsoever when steven asks how he knows so much about khonshu arthur claims that he was a former avatar for him yeah i think that that
1: also is what bumped up the fact that like you remember venom was like hated on this planet or whatever He's like a total yeah. loser and everything So, because he says something like, he, like the other gods don't respect him or whatever. I mean, if he's telling the truth, this is also something that we've seen in the comics before. I mean, definitely not with the hero character, but throughout, you know, Marvel comic history, Kanshu has had many different avatars.
0: Arthur goes on to explain Khonshu's ways aren't good enough as he only punishes after a wicked deed is done, while Ahmet judges a person and kills them before they ever have a chance to do any harm. Which, Stephen is quick to state that he's not sure if he can actually trust the judgment of a strange crocodile god. But trying not to lose him, Arthur starts probing him for the whereabouts of the Scarab, even going as far to speak to Mark through Stephen, claiming that Khonshu is lying and manipulating him about whatever deal he's made with Khonshu. Steven begins questioning how far eradicating evil goes, as even having a bad thought shouldn't get you eradicated from Earth. Arthur realizes, you know, he's not going to get what he wants out of Steven and begins to threaten that he's going to have to use Ahmed's power that resides in his cane to get what he needs. But the tension is cut when Layla suddenly appears with the scarab, though she doesn't realize Steven can't just summon the abilities of Moon Knight on his own just yet.
1: I really enjoyed this conversation between the two characters and Ethan Hawke is just amazing in this role. Um, I thought they did a fantastic job of like defining the difference between Kanchu and Ahmed. Like he's you know, still in a way allowing people to have free will and make their own choices and live their lives. Ahmed on the other hand is straight like Minority Report. Do you remember that film with uh, Tom Cruise where he was like arresting people before they like Committed crimes. Uh, I did not see Minority It's not apart. that great, but, you know. <laughs> it's a cool <laughs> concept, though. But. <laughs> but anyway, I digress. This is getting me really excited to see Ethan Hawke in the Black Phone, though. I will say that.
0: No, yeah, Like, his whole, like, you know, softly speaking, but still very menacing yes. in this is, is Yeah, great. he's not like chewing scenery here you know mm. he's not going full camp you know he feels like a true cult leader forced to run as arthur summons another beast layla and stephen escape to a room where layla tries to get stephen to realize he is mark and can summon the suit but after a while of yelling at him layla finally understands that he is just stephen at this time and that he may actually have been telling the truth this may be really like wonder like how many adventures Mark and Layla
1: have been on, you know, since he's, you know, become the avatar of Concho because she obviously has some working knowledge of this like power that he possesses. So
0: just when did this Grant's personality actually develop or come out of hiding? Meanwhile, the Jackal actually catches up to them and busts into the room, knocking Stephen out a window where Kanchu yells at Stephen to summon the suit while falling. When Stephen lands, he's suited up like a proper gent similar to Mr. Knight from the comics. So
1: I don't know, like I bumped up against this here. Um, In the comics, Mr. Knight, it's the debonair, like, detective side of the character, where this is almost like the opposite. (laughs) This is, you know, the bumbling Stephen Grant in a white suit because he didn't understand the concept of what suit meant. You know, it was like the first thing that, like, came to him. So it feels like they're kind of playing it for laughs once again. I'm willing to let it play out because I'm not like a comic book purist or a snob where I need everything to be like pulled exactly the way it is from the panels but it is so strikingly different than what we've seen in the books that it is a little off-putting so I do hope we eventually get glimpses of that version of the character
0: you know I'm fairly new to the character so this didn't bother me as a sequence but I do like I wouldn't mind an arc where this version of Steven you know gets more of the you know billionaire and um uh, detective style characteristics that, you know, Stephen and Mr. Knight have. Like, I could see this version based off of the intelligence he's shown from the museum and everything he has at home becoming that in the future. But I, I don't know if we're going to get that in a six episode arc. That's already two episodes in. No, exactly. It'd be fun to see Stephen kind
1: of grow into that version of the character that I've, you know, come to know and love.
0: The Jackal then pursues Steven and attacks, and while Layla does attempt to help, she can't see the Jackal, just like we saw in the footage earlier on. Steven does try his best in this fight, but he has a little grasp on what he is actually capable of in this form. Getting tossed around by the Jackal eventually leads him to give up control to Mark, as he turns into the more ceremonial garb version of Moon Knight and leads the Jackal away from civilians and eventually piercing it through a monument's post. Finally, he should have done that like 10 minutes ago, right? (laughs) He wanted to be the hero in front of Layla, all right? He didn't know what he wanted, Christian. (laughs) Give me a break. Meanwhile, Layla finds Arthur collecting the scarab from a homeless gentleman and seemingly using his power to kill him without going through, you know, the whole balancing the scales act like he does with the rest of his flock. So you're
1: telling me Moon Knight went through all that trouble, Battling the fucking jackal in the middle of the street and eventually impaling it just to drop the fucking scarab <laughs> and have Arthur, you know, to find it on the ground It's some debris. Well,
0: <laughs> I was more upset at the fact that Layla brought the scarab to this meeting. If she knew how uh, she knows how important this thing is, mm-hmm. why would she have done this? And and what was her plan? Right? <laughs> exactly.
1: I mean, maybe it's a case of her feeling like it's more safe with them than just, you know, hidden somewhere, but that's obviously not true. And who knows, maybe she wants to go use it to discover, you know,
0: the power of Omid. a little crisscross applesauce. I see what you're maybe. saying. Returning to Mark, who's now in control of the body, we hear Steven's voice coming from a nearby mirror, feeling terrible being trapped on the inside this time around. Mark refuses to give back control as he explains the wall Steven had up separating them seems to have deteriorated a bit and now who's ever in control of the body has more power overall. This causes Steven to panic as he wants to be free, blaming Mark for all his misfortune over the years. Mark promises he will return the body to Steven but only after he finishes this supposed last mission for Kanchu. Steven continues to panic and Mark eventually smashes the mirror to silence him. Man, I mean once again this is just a great performance by oscar isaac i
1: mean uh i just felt awful for steven it it was just terrifying to think about that he's Mm -hmm. like stuck in this like void almost and like you said you could really feel the panic come over him uh and this conversation really you know raised a lot of questions for me because it's like who is the real personality
0: here you know is, is he really steven or is he really mark Or at this point, is it just both? Because, you know, he's making it sound like it's been longer than months, but maybe that's just in Stephen's head as well. Like, I mean, it seems like Mark is
1: out there actually living a life. You know, he's been married. mm -hmm. He's been a mercenary. How would he juggle the Stephen personality that entire time without anyone else knowing? And I think that kind of lends it into the theory of, you know, maybe Stephen was... A personality that he's had, but it's something that he's been repressing for all these years. And like I said before, I do feel like they kind of answered
0: too many questions in this episode. Um, I do like their leaving this as a mystery though. Khonshu then begins to complain about Steven's interference with their mission. And while Mark tries to reassure him that he will get this job done so that they can you know, honor their deal, Khonshu seems to make some of Arthur's statements true as he claims if Mark were to no longer be his avatar as far as the deal goes, he would then turn to Layla. And before our episode closes, we find Mark mauling over this whole situation with a bottle of liquor after he has traveled to Egypt. Now, this is definitely an aspect
1: of the comic books that I'm glad that they brought over. Um, The fact that Khonshu is always kind of manipulating Mark into Mm -hmm. doing his bidding. Um, That's exactly what we see here in this conversation, Uh, you know, using his wife against him pretty much. So one of the aspects in the comic is that Khonshu chooses Mark as his avatar because he's able to manipulate him easier because of the uh, dissociative identity disorder. That he suffers from. So while he's seemingly annoyed with the Stephen Grant personality, I think that's part of the reason why he chose to use Mark.
0: I mean, it makes sense and I, I do like how Arthur was able to, you know, really hit on that during the the earlier meeting between him and Stephen. You know, you actually see Mark, you know, dipping away in the reflection mm-hmm. of the uh, bowl there. Uh, it was a good play on that and then I just I wonder, like, has she had any, con like, has Layla met Conchu or know any, like, of his existence at all? I mean, she does know about the suit, but I don't know how deep she's in on all this. I don't know.
1: I, and Maybe Mark's trying to keep certain things hidden from her for her own safety. So, I mean, besides a couple of my minor gripes, I, I thought this was another great episode. Um, I did love seeing you know, Moon Knight in full action here, too. I thought that was well done, something we didn't really talk about, but, I mean, he's a complete badass. (laughs) I hope we get more, you know, impaling in this season. Um, I'm just curious to see, like, how often we get to see Mark go full Moon Knight. Mm -hmm. You know, or is that something that they're going to save for, like, the finale, where we get almost, like, an entire episode of him, you know, completely
0: Moon Knight out. I mean, because personally, I would like to see you know Moon Knight up against at least something that isn't a CGI monster in one of these episodes mm-hmm. coming up. You know,
1: yeah, and I'm sure we're gonna get to see that like once he comes up against Arthur and his cult, because I'm, I'm sh- obviously that's why he's you know traveled to Egypt you know to stop Arthur on his quest to get to you know Ammit's tomb.
0: Though I wouldn't mind if uh, you know the whole situation becomes like a Raiders of the Lost Ark, and you know they they open up the tomb and. Um, it just fucks up everybody. <laughs>
1: this giant alligator-headed bean comes out and just starts munching Aww. on people. Yeah, that'd be pretty <laughs> awesome too. And I'm also hoping that we get introduced to the Bushman character, um, because you know he's basically the main antagonist, at least earlier on in like you know the Moon Knight comic books, because he is one of you know Moon Knight's main antagonists, at least earlier on in you know the Moon Knight you know comics. So it'd be cool to, you know, see that character on screen.
0: But I won't be surprised if it's a, like, end of the season. A season two you know, thing? In, yeah. yeah. <laughs> for season two, yeah. I, I could definitely see that, you know, something that they tease, at, you know, in the finale. Mm-hmm. He's a pretty vile character, though, so I'm looking forward to it. It's Just as long as it's not another musical number at the end of the season, I'm good. Well, that you know? would be a strange choice. <laughs>
1: as off kilter as this you know series has been
0: i don't foresee that happening but who knows you never know Damon. i mean hopefully one of mark's personalities is a dancer but we'll find out more on the next episode of moon Knight. this week's episode of the amazing nerd show is sponsored by manscaped Ladies and gentlemen, can I get a round of applause? Today I'm excited to announce Manskips launched
1: their ultra-premium collection. And believe it or not, it's for your not-so-private parts. I'm talking about a leveled-up hygiene routine with your favorite manly scent. This is an all-in-one skin and hair care kit for your everyday man, and it covers you from head to toe, literally. Manscaped is trusted below the waist. Now trust them with the rest. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with our code 20amazing.
0: Fellas, there's more places on your body that stink than your balls. And of course, no one wants to be that smelly guy during convention season. We all know how essential the Manscaped Lawnmower 4.0 is for the precise trim below the waist. Their advanced skin safe technology reduces cuts to your most delicate areas. But now you can enhance your perfect rooming routine with their ultra premium collection. This package includes Manscaped's premium deodorants. And no, that's not for your balls, it's for your stanky arm pits this deodorant dries clear is aluminum free and smells like their signature scent it also comes with hydrating body moisturizer
1: have tattoos or issues with dry skin it's designed to keep skin feeling clean smooth and smelling fresh also it comes with body wash to lather you up with their infused aloe vera and sea salt shower gel and they also throw in a 2-in-1 shampoo and conditioner to clean your scalp with an easy one step. Plus, they included a free gift a three pack set of Lip Balm that's made up of ingredients such as vitamin E, peppermint, and eucalyptus oil to keep those chappers feeling moist.
0: Right there, that's four products, plus a gift inside the Ultra Premium Collection. What a score! All of these products are cruelty-free, paraben-free, vegan-friendly, and dye-free. The best ingredients with zero compromise. You know, we would like to recommend using the products in this order. Well, Christian, the first step will be
1: hopping in the shower and scrub-a-dub-dub that body with the Manscaped Body Wash.
0: Second, you gotta lather that hair up with a two-in-one shampoo conditioner to keep your noggin toggin. Then you've gotta dry off and spray that hydrating body moisturizer to reinvigorate dry skin. Of course, you put on the Manscaped deodorant for obvious reasons. Pop that Manscaped lip balm on. No one is out here kissing chapped up lips. And you know, getting dressed after is of course optional, but you should wear one great scent all day long. So what are you waiting for? Get that ultra premium collection hot off the shelves. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code 20amazing at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code 20amazing at manscaped.com. Manscaped.com That's right,
1: because the power of attraction is now in a bottle, thanks to Manscaped. Well, like
0: I talked about at the top of the show, Christian, you saw a film this week. That's right, I saw the film, Morbius. I'm sorry. Warning spoiler alert, major spoilers for Morbius ahead. You have been warned. And now, our feature presentation. I have powers that can only be described as superhuman. But there's a cost. Now, I face a of choice. To so hunt and, and consume, consume blood or die. We all have monsters within us. It's up to us to control it.
1: Biochemist Michael Morbius tries to cure himself of a rare blood disease, but he inadvertently infects himself with a form of vaporism instead. Morbius is directed by Daniel
0: Espinoza and stars Jared Leto. Morbius is a flashy film with a heavy reliance on the spectacle of CGI effects and suffered a lot of the same issues that Venom 2 did in poor pacing and in a abysmal story that didn't give any of the characters enough time to breathe, leading me to just not care about anything I was seeing on screen. In Morbius, Michael, as played by Jared Leto, finds a cure to his and his best friend's disease, but at the cost of turning himself into a human bat chimera, Shao Tucker style for my weebs out there. Of course, becoming a blood sucking monster wasn't his goal, so he tries to keep the cure from his best friend Milo, as played by Matt Smith. And of course, Milo does get his hands on it, because what makes for a better superhero film than having a mirror match finale while milo embraces his blood hungry instincts michael doesn't and then there's Therese gibson's agent simon stroud who just stares off into the distance wondering how he can stop the bloodshed which there is very little of because this film went for the softest pg-13 i've probably ever seen Of what little story there is, every relationship feels kind of rushed and unearned. It was as if an hour's worth of story was shaved off in this film so we could get plenty of cool smoky effects for our two human bats effects that you can tell people worked hard on to put for these characters the faces at points felt more like a snapchat filter than a movie effect and was way overused throughout the film it was like they needed a reason to have their faces morph at least once every five minutes and while i will say the action sequences at least weren't as much of a cgi blur as venoms they weren't still all that inspiring either. Big shots to one another, but no real choreography needed. And yes, while I do know I am dragging on this film a bunch, I don't blame the actors whatsoever. The script was just shit, but Leto and Smith felt like they were still giving their all and trusting the process. And yeah, I've seen the reports of the director coming out claiming that there was studio interference that, you know, kind of hurt his vision in a similar fashion to how, you know, Ayr and Suicide Squad happened, but I can't really see any semblance of how how to save this story, as it was just mediocre from the jump. And don't even get me started on how confusing Vulture's appearance is or even Morbius's one-liner about Venom as the film almost feels like it's in an entirely different universe than Venom and or Spider-Man. All in all the film was a bloody mess and made me terrified for what they're going to do with Craven. Uh, my grade is going to be a D plus just for the effort of the performances as they were the only saving grace of this film. Beyond that I highly suggest just skipping this one. Um, if Into the Spider-Verse wasn't so good I'd probably pray that they would just give up all their Marvel rights to Disney at this point. You know, free of charge, I don't think they deserve to keep making these films. But it it is what it is. You know, that's just how the cookie crumbles, I guess. And now it's time for Christian's Corner. This past week in gaming showed us the continuation of Rockstar's dedication of making remakes. Bankrolling remedy, Rockstar plans on putting out remakes of Max Payne 1 and 2, using the Northlight engine used in games like Control and the upcoming Alan Wake 2 and while at first the idea of any kind of remasters or remakes coming from Rockstar gave me a feeling of dread, Remedy's track record on the games I just spoke of is quite impressive, and that engine would be amazing for the highly cinematic experience that the Max Payne games, you know, kind of provide. I was also kind of a bigger fan than most of the Max Payne 3 story, but I feel like Remedy will do the first two titles justice, but we will keep a close eye on this project as more news comes out. Um, for now, The Amazing nurture. Nerd- is continuing on with their adventures live on stream in games like WWE 2K22 and Elden Ring. So make sure to catch us live every weekend and you can help support the show for free using an Amazon Prime account and subscribing to our channel. Speaking of subscribers, gotta give a big shout out to Darth Dad, longtime listener of the show who has been subbed to our Twitch channel as well for a year now. Thank you so much for helping and supporting the show's channel on Twitch. And again, thank you for introducing us to you know, Team XO and Chloe and all those great people over there as well. I definitely think other listeners should check out Darth Dad 78 live on Twitch. When you get a chance, you can find his profile on our channel page right near the bottom. But all right, let's move on to wrestling. Right then and there, at eight years
1: old, I knew not what I wanted to do, what I needed to do. I was going to win this championship belt right here. I was going to place it. I was going to bestow
0: it into the hands of the American dream, dusty Rhodes, And I would tell him nobody can take it away from you now.
1: So we're coming off a huge WrestleMania weekend. Uh, and you know, last week when we were kind of previewing the show, admittedly, I wasn't super high on this card. I mean, on paper, it definitely felt pretty weak for a mania. Uh, You know, one part of that was like we haven't been really following WWE as closely as we had in the past, uh, which I think overall might have been a plus because I I wasn't as critical as I might have been with some of the storylines and how they played out on the card. Uh, But also, I think part of it was like some of the matches kind of felt thrown together, too. And then the fact that they had three celebrity matches, it just felt like a recipe for disaster. But surprisingly, I found both nights pretty entertaining. Uh you know it ended up being like one of the better WrestleManias in recent history and really it's the first time in a long time that it actually felt like a Wrestlemania to me like we actually had genuine Wrestlemania moments uh where i feel like the last like i don't know 5 or so years it it has it hasn't felt that way to me uh, but, I, you know, I just really enjoyed like the pomp and circumstance and all the pageantry that WWE does so well. Uh, and I felt like that was kind of missing. Obviously, like, you know, with the last couple of years with the pandemic and everything, you know, they could only do so much. But honestly, I've been feeling that way for a long time. I mean, I think the last WrestleMania that felt like a true WrestleMania was the media where uh, Daniel Bryan won the belt
0: that one definitely was like I feel like the last one structured like the final chapter to a massive arc That, that that that's the way that Wrestlemania usually was you know this one for me definitely shined above a lot of the more recent ones I agree with that um but instead of getting that feeling of you know this being the final chapter for you know these massive arcs it felt like this was the start of something you know there's a lot of new angles and arcs i feel like being built off of this mania you know especially with things like you know we have Cody now in the company you have you know the titles being brought together um you can definitely see more with Ronda and all that it, a lot of it felt like it was building up to backlash funny enough like i feel like they're trying to push towards their next event rather than this being just the, you know, be-all, end-all that usually WrestleMania would be considered.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I could see that with some of the matches, but, like, I feel like the Brock and Roman match was pretty definitive. I understand where you're coming from. I don't know if I need closure on every storyline. I got enough closure from the storylines that really matter to me, at least. And it it got me excited for what's in store for the future of the WWE, which it's been a while since I felt that way, so... (laughs) So we're recording this early Friday morning. I don't think we really need to do a full review of the entire card. Uh, You know, especially since it's two nights long, Uh, which is something I was a little sad to see returning next year. Mm -hmm. You know, the whole like two night concept. Uh, Oh,
0: Hollywood's going two nights as well.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, It's a little too much where I feel like they could have condensed this and it would have been like one awesome night of WrestleMania. Instead, I felt like the second I felt a little thin, where the first night was tremendous. But anyway, we don't want to end up recording to five o'clock in the morning. So let's go ahead and talk about some of our biggest highlights from both nights and maybe some of our lowlights from both nights.
0: Well, as far as night one goes, I feel like we can both agree that Becky Lynch versus Bianca Belair, probably the match of the entire WrestleMania. No, I agree 100%.
1: It's either this match or the Cody and Seth match uh, for me, at least. Um, you know, it's it's pretty neck and neck. But like this match was kind of a surprise. And honestly, I think this is the best women's match, you know, I've seen in the WWE for a long time. I mean, they really did come close to like stealing the whole weekend, honestly. I mean, they just had a great back and forth, they were just really like in rhythm together, all the transitions worked, everything looked great. I mean, it was hard hitting, and I think the right person actually won the match uh which w w e doesn't always do, so Bianca finally had her redemption and you know got her title back because there was definitely moments along the way in this story that I was kind of questioning <laughs> what the hell they're doing, and It felt like Bianca mm-hmm. kind of got lost in the shuffle after that first initial program with Becky, so I'm glad that they got things back on track, and they actually had you know a fairy tale ending for Bianca. Now, I just want them to keep her the hell away from Becky. (laughs) Because, man, like, while I felt like the crowd was behind Bianca uh, at WrestleMania, because on Raw, that wasn't the case at all. Um, The crowd was 50-50 at best. Uh, Becky wasn't on the show, but, like, I don't know, like, Bianca was getting a decent amount of booze when she's out there, you know, doing her first promo as champion. And it all goes back to the fact that people don't want to boo Becky Lynch, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, as much as they're trying to make her into this like massive heel, people just aren't buying into it. It's not working and it's not helping Bianca at all at this point, you know, so they need to do something, you know, I don't know, just put, you know, Becky on another brand or, you know, tune up the character uh, but keep her away from bianca and really give her a chance to be that massive over
0: baby face that she deserves to be because i i mean i'm still in that band camp where i feel like bianca belair and rhea ripley should be you know the next two top people in the women's 100%. division 100 yeah 100 percent. but her in this feud with
1: becky you know with, uh, you know, a character who the crowd is behind, you know, she, Becky's mm. still one of the most over, you know, wrestlers that they have in the company. So it's like going against the grain for Bianca, you know, and it's hurting, you know, her rise to the top. And part of the problem is, you know, like I've said, time after time after time is the whole heel turn with Becky just felt, I don't know, forced. Um And, you know, after a month, they should have just, you know, turned, you know, changed course. Um, But they didn't. And I'm not sure why, because it's just not working. And, you know, and they're also, you know, guilty of not always booking her like a true heel. You know, something like she had a whole program with Charlotte where she definitely felt like the baby face. So I think Mm -hmm. it's confusing for fans, Uh, you know, and it's not fair to, you know, Bianca. Because honestly, like, before Becky returned, her push was going great. And I thought they were doing a fantastic job with her.
0: Um, On Raw, are they pushing Becky then for a rematch at um, Backlash? Is that the plan? Well, I'm sure
1: that is the plan. They did not establish that on Raw, at least. Like I said, Becky wasn't even there. But Christian, the fact that I actually watched Raw, like, the entire three hours says a lot for this WrestleMania card.
0: Uh, that is truly impressive. It didn't it didn't make me rush to Raw, could, I but mean,
1: <laughs> it made me invested in the product again, at least mm. you know, for the short term.
0: But I mean you already brought him up. Uh Cody Rhodes versus Seth Rollins was another massive spot in this card. I mean, seeing Cody finally emerge from the floor after Thirty seconds of darkness, of course, in the ring, but uh, Seth Rollins begging for someone to come out. Uh, <laughs> but uh, they had a fantastic match, um, you know, I, and it did a lot to show that Cody was going to be a big player here in WWE, rather than just being like we're throwing some random gimmick on the guy. So I'm, I'm glad that you know all the rumors were true. They gave him his yes. gimmick, and they really you know pushed forward with this. So yes, far. they
1: let him be. Himself, the character, yes, you know, inversion of Cody Rhodes that he's worked so hard over the past six years, you know, to really develop. Um mm-hmm. So yes, that is absolutely a good sign. Uh Knock on wood, it lasts because yeah, I mean he he got the win here, but I mean Fandango also beat Chris Jericho in his first WrestleMania match uh so (laughs) and you know it was it was nothing but downhill (laughs) from there uh no i thought this was a fantastic moment i thought this was a great match i was super happy that the crowd reacted the way they did for him that you know that Mm -hmm. they realized that it was a big deal that he was here and it's a real testament to all this hard work over the past six years that he made the right decision leaving the company when he did And really like striving to go out on his own. And he made a true mark for himself and, you know, in the wrestling industry as a whole. And not only was he able to change his own destiny, but, you know, along with the help of, you know, Tony Khan and the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega, he was able to change the wrestling industry for the better. But this match had everything that you would expect from a main event at WrestleMania Like all the bells and whistles, they got plenty of time, uh, plenty of near falls, and it really sold Cody as a main event player. The
0: boyhood dream come true.
1: Uh, The next night on Raw, they actually let him open the show. Uh, He was able to kind of tell his story. Uh, I thought the promo was good, um, but something felt a little off to me and I mean, he's come out and said that it wasn't scripted, but something just, I don't know. And it may be question maybe, you know, part of it was scripted and he's just not used mm-hmm. to doing that at this point. Um, or maybe it was just the crowd wasn't reacting necessarily the way he thought they would um, to some of like, you know, the bigger, you know, bullet points in the speech. While I think he's one of the best promos in the business, bar none, in the WWE, he's going to have to even work harder. On his promos just because WWE fans are Mm -hmm. more casual and they might not completely know his story. So they might not be completely invested in him. And he's a little handcuffed because they're not going to let him get into the whole AEW side of things. Right. So he can't completely fully tell his story, like how he went up against WWE and, you know, he was able to like win Mm -hmm. against Hunter and NXT uh, you know, start his own alternative brand. I mean, that's a big, you know, part of his journey that he can't really capitalize on. So, um, I mean, the promo was good, don't get me wrong. I just, it wasn't the five-star promo that we expect from Cody, I felt like. Story-wise, the direction they seem to be going is, you know, he's trying to do the one thing that his father hasn't or wasn't able to do which Mm has captured the WWE title. So, and I'm sure there's some reality to that, um, where he sees that as unfinished business for himself. Uh, And I do like that story, but I feel like they need to do more legwork with that and kind of really
0: dive deeper, you know, for this more casual audience. Well, at the same time, he can't come out and just, like, cry every single week. You know, like, that will... Piss off fans real quick, especially more casual fans that don't understand. No, hundred percent. And I don't think he mm-hmm. needs to cry to tell the story, you know.
1: <laughs> I think he could kind of talk more about, you know, where he's been, because they're kind of acting like he's, yeah <laughs> like been in a void for the
0: last six years
1: or training in a cave somewhere. Um, and just like just who his father is. Cause there's a lot of fans who don't know who Dusty Rhodes is, you know. They don't know his history and his family's lineage. So I feel like you could do that, you know, with a couple more promos, a couple back and forths with whoever he ends up facing off against, and, like, a couple even, like, video packages. I mean, the one thing that WrestleMania, you know, really reminded me of is, like, how well WWE can, you know, frame their stories with their video packages. Because, like, you know, we were saying before, like, I haven't been keeping really, like, completely – up to date with everything that's going on with the product, but I did find those little promo packages, even though there was way too many of them and I don't think you need one for every (laughs) single one of the matches, but I found those really helpful. And they did, like, you know, put everything in a nutshell and really explain exactly why you should be excited for this upcoming match. So, I mean, WWE could work magic with Cody's story if they wanted to on those packages, you know. But I agree 100%. Like, he can't overdo the white meat mm-hmm. baby face thing, right? He can't pander too much to the crowd because at a certain point, it's like you're trying too hard um, and they'll eventually turn on you, especially if they don't completely understand who you are and what you're about yet. So, I, I, you know, he did a lot of that during his Mania match and he did that a, a lot of it, at least in the dark match he had with Kevin Owens that night. Um, but I mean that was all that was a dark match. No one saw that, so it 's okay, but he was literally like grabbing kids oh, in God. the crowd and picking them up and <laughs> and maybe he knew those kids i don't know, but it was a little much you know for my taste at least if I was him, I would play more into that like just super determined you know baby face on a mission
0: if they don't capture how he 's able to talk with their writing and that 's gonna. It's, it's all going to come down to that writing if he's if he's is doing a script, you know, like <laughs> it's, I don't trust that. Well, <laughs> I and here's double. the thing. I'm sure he he's going to if his promo
1: was scripted, uh-huh. I'm sure he got input at least. But like some of the vocabulary that it was, uh-huh. using, it was very <laughs> it was very Nick Bockwinkle and very like Chris Jericho when he was doing um, the uh-huh. suited Jericho, you know, where he's. Almost overdoing the vernacular to try to like impress the crowd and like talk down to the crowd. And I know he's trying, he's an impressive talker. And I, but it it felt like he was almost overdoing it. Like, and if the crowd doesn't understand like half of what you're saying, that's you're not going to connect with them. So, I mean, it was like he's trying too (sighs) hard almost. So tone that down a little. Um, You know, and just be yourself. Because, like I said, he's fantastic on the mic. So there's no reason why he can't convey this story that means so much. Absolutely. So for me, one of the other big like highlights of night one was we actually got to see a retirement match for Stone Cold Steve Austin. Uh, you know, I was kind of speculating whether or not they would actually have a match that ended up, you know, happening here. Um, I didn't necessarily love how they got to the match. Uh, You know, with Stone Cold, like, sitting down in the chair, and then Kevin Owens actually being the one to challenge hmm. Stone Cold to no-holds-barred match. It was great seeing Steve getting that final curtain call that he never got originally when he retired, because no one knew it was his mm-hmm. last match at the time. I would have preferred if Stone Cold just got out of the ring, grabbed the mic, and said ring that bell, you know, and a rough runs down, and the match starts. Yeah, you know, I, I feel like that's all you needed. I didn't think you needed the back-and-forth in the very beginning. Um... You know, just uh, with Stone Cold, and you know, initiating the match, because I don't know why Kevin Owens would want to have a no holds barred match with Stone Cold. Because, like, why play into Stone Cold's strengths as, like, one of the greatest brawlers of all time, (laughs) you know, and give him a match that, you know, favors him. So, it just, it, it felt weird to me, but... I mean, I like where we got to, though, with it. I I did enjoy the match. I can't believe Stone Cold actually was taking suplexes out on the concrete. I thought that was insane. I didn't think we were going to get that. And it was just fun listening to the crowd go completely ballistic once they realized what Mm -hmm. they were getting.
0: I mean, he wasn't out there doing moves like, you know, Sting, but it was still a good performance there from Stone Cold. I'm I'm kidding. It's fine. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: At Stone Cold, 19 years ago,
0: wasn't out no. there doing moves like sticks. So. <laughs> he's a punch, kick, punch, kick kind of guy. And that's no, why. But I, I, that's exactly where I thought I was going to go, though. I thought he was going to come out to the ring. Um, as soon as he started like knocking over shit, I was like, oh, he's going like, to rip the chair from underneath uh, Kevin Owens. And then he's just going to be like, let's get it on. You know, th- there wasn't yeah. really any need for that kind of weird exchange that they had. Yeah. <laughs> It was a mm-hmm. little awkward. It was a little awkward.
1: Um but like I said, I, I like where we ended up going. So, um I'm still surprised that they kept the match a secret uh because I feel like they could have sold a lot more tickets <laughs> if they would have announced it, but I'm wondering if Steve wasn't like 100% confident that he'd be able to, you know, pull off the mm. match. So he wanted to wait to the very last minute and maybe he didn't want to like have to live up to people's expectations where if they announced the match like a month out, people would be like, you know, people's imaginations would be yeah. going crazy, you know, where like this is a nice surprise. They got something that they weren't, you know, expecting. And he got to ride out um, into the sunset the way he wants to. So, low light wise, there isn't much. Um, obviously, uh, Rick Boogs getting injured in the mm-hmm. first match. I was like, oh my god, this whole card is snake bit. I mean, (laughs) just a horrible situation. I really feel bad for the guy. Uh, I think he tore his quad, so that's, I mean, some serious, like, rehab time and everything. Um, You know, and he was just starting to kind of, like, build up steam with the audience. So, I mean, it's definitely sad, but... Yeah, I'm sure he'll be back by, you know, next mania at least. And hopefully, you know, he's with Nakamura again and doing his thing. Another low light for me was the Mysterios versus uh, Logan Paul and The Miz. Uh, I was impressed with Logan Paul Hmm. overall, even though I'm a purist and I hate these celebrities being able to come in and like pick up wrestling so easily. Like anyone from the outside world can just become a wrestler. Um, He did, you know, make for a great heel in the match, though. I just didn't understand Miz turning on Logan Paul. Yeah. And apparently it was part of his contract that he wanted to be a babyface by at the end of the Mysterio feud. But I mean, why, if you're WWE, would you allow him to negotiate that? No one's going to fucking, you know, no matter how good Logan Paul is in the ring, no one's going to buy him as a babyface. So I I don't know. It just it just didn't make much sense. So it it kind of felt
0: flat. It it seemed. It really just turned Miz into a Babyface, Absolutely. right? Absolutely, and it seemed like he was enjoying playing the heel role during that match. Like, I thought he was really getting into it, so I'm, I'm definitely disappointed that he's not sticking around for, you know, if he's going to continue being here to, you know, stay as a heel rather than be, be the face in this situation. He was the Paul brother from last
1: WrestleMania 2, right? With Sami Zayn? Mm. We talked about this before. Okay, yeah. So he seems to be a fan, Mm. or they're just paying an obscene amount of money. So, I don't know. I mean, the guy did come down to the ring with a $3 million Pokemon card (laughs) on a a Uh, chain around his neck, so... (laughs) i'm sure money's not an issue so if he did if he wasn't into it he wouldn't be doing
0: it. i mean the eddie guerrero Um, spots were fucking awesome from him, you know like it it felt uh, like really dastardly heel shit so i was like okay this is i can get behind this
1: yes and he he performed the moves Uh, well (laughs) he had poise in the ring so i was impressed but yeah, no, I mean, I still
0: fucking Oh yeah, that, absolutely. So anyway. <laughs> uh, Drew McIntyre's attempted murder at the uh, end of his match. You know? <laughs> this has been a thing I though know. with him. He keeps on swinging the sword at these guys. He's like, what
1: is the end goal here? Are you really trying to capitate Happy I don't Corbin? Because <laughs> I, I, I don't understand what WWE <laughs> is doing. Like, <laughs> they used to have a no murder rule but apparently not so anymore. <laughs>
0: well uh, what else are you gonna do when you base you know a storyline around a fucking giant sword i mean we've said this before on mike it's just like he's yeah. got to skewer someone with it you know it's <laughs> yeah
1: eventually or that's gonna like accidentally uh-huh. happen the way he's swinging that thing and like i just i i felt like i don't know it felt so silly him putting mm-hmm. the ropes you know, like, what was the point of that? Like, is that that impressive? Well,
0: and, like, when they showed it in slow motion, that third rope making the sword bend didn't look that great yeah. either. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, you're right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely a low light. How did you feel about Rhonda and Charlotte? I wasn't a big fan of the match. Like, I, there were some good moments, but overall, yeah. I was, you know, kind of down on it. I, Like, I... Like, the storyline itself wasn't that great, but I felt like in this match they had a lot of great storytelling moments. It was just, like, all the in-between, like, the setup to moves all just felt all the, yeah, the transitions. Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: I don't know. Like, Ronda, said, she's come back, um, it, it, just from what we've seen with her in the ring, it, it seems like she's still kind mm-hmm. of rusty. Whereas I think her first go-around she was really able to get into a groove, and it felt like she was wrestling a lot on Raw and SmackDown, where this time around, I feel like we're not seeing as much of her in the ring. And I could be wrong, because I'm, like like I said before, I'm not watching Raw every week. <laughs> but it just doesn't feel like she's having as yeah. many matches. So maybe she's just a little rusty. And I do, I I will say that, I've said this before, I feel like Charlotte kind of lost a step recently. You know, where we're not seeing her perform at the highest levels like we used to. So, and I don't know what that is. I mean, maybe she's dealing with injuries and she's had a couple long sabbaticals also. So maybe that Mm -hmm. plays into it. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, she's still great in the ring, but I don't know. I like. I feel like she's not performing at as high of a level as we've seen from her in the past. Alright, man, let's jump into Night 2. Honestly, I think my favorite match of Night 2 is the opening match. Uh, I really enjoyed this tag match. Uh, I thought all three teams really got a chance to shine here. And it felt more like an AEW tag team match than it did like a WWE tag team match, where it just felt like the handcuffs were off, you know, and they were just having fun out
0: there. I mean, yeah, uh, it it flowed better than the usual WWE tag team match. I'll give you that. I, I feel like, you know, these past few weeks with AEW... Their tag matches have just been out of this fucking world. So I'm not going to necessarily compare. I'm not comparing it
1: to fucking FTR versus the Young Bucks, my friends. I'm just saying it was a good match. It was a good time. Did we even say what match we're talking about? It's the triple threat match featuring RK-Bro, the Street Profits, and Alpha Academy. I'm really enjoying the Alpha Academy, by the way. The whole shush thing. Really? Really got over (laughs) with me. Oh, Oh, I love it. Oh, I love it. I love it. You can tell the crowds love it too. So, uh, Chad Gable is just—I mean, my God—he does not get enough credit, and I'm—I'm I'm glad that he's getting some spotlight now because uh, he's a great. Hero. Yeah, but he's got to get
0: his name changed soon, right? With G- Gable Stevens no, no, coming no. in,
1: I think they're—I th- I think they're over that. No, they can't do that to him. Like, I, after Shorty G, they have to allow him <laughs> to keep his name at this
0: point, They right? just call him Alpha <laughs> Chad or that. something like that. <laughs> no, they owe that to him.
1: I'm sure they'll probably just call him Chad, uh-huh. you know. Um, but yeah, no, I, I don't want a, a complete name change. But yeah, no, I like the chemistry between him and Otis. So, um, but yeah, no, I thought this was a fun match. Now, even though I don't watch the product weekly, I was a little confused because I felt like the Street Profits were kind of like teetering on the dark side, but here they felt like complete baby faces. and I don't know if that was just a product of them wanting to do like the Gable Steveson moment at the end of the match, which I like knew right away, like once they showed him in the crowd and everything, I was like, oh, he's totally going to interfere in this match or something. So, um, but yeah, it, it was a little weird, um, but You know, once again, that's kind of what I was talking about in the beginning, where, like, not, you know, following the product as closely. (laughs) I'm probably a little more forgiving Mm -hmm. for those little, like, story nuances not being there. Moving on, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but another highlight for me was
0: the Johnny knoxville Sami Zayn I'm right there with you. It it was actually one of the more entertaining celebrity matches we've gotten (laughs) in in the past (laughs) few years. You know why?
1: I think part of it was because Knoxville, like... They didn't try to insult our intelligence by making us believe that Knoxville could actually like Uh Sami Zayn, and they just kind of like played on his strengths, which was just ridiculous props, right? You know, his whole cast of characters coming out, and it was just a pure comedy match. And Sami Zayn shined and showed why he's so like valuable to the company Uh, because he's he's able to do Mm -hmm. it all. You know, (laughs) I mean. That being said, Wee Man almost stole the show with that body slam. Absolutely, I mean, I got straight Hogan slamming Andre vibes. WrestleMania three, Uh, you know, it pops the crowd. And it honestly probably got one of the bigger pops of the night. So uh, but yeah, no, just I mean, even the fucking giant mousetrap, how ridiculous that thing looked, It it still fucking, you know, cracked me up. The fact, too, that Sammy couldn't get out of the thing even after the Uh pitfall. I I just love that. That was fantastic.
0: Oh, usually, a match with that much shit going on is is like a yes. disaster. So the fact that they yes, were able to pull it chaos. off was pretty impressive.
1: No, no. I mean, whatever Sammy's making, they need to uh-huh. give him a raise. You know, I know he just signed another contract. <laughs> But I mean, whoever fucking was the producer on this, you know, and Sammy and even fucking Knoxville needs to get all the praise in the world because this was pretty Uh, up next. I got to give credit where credit's due. Uh, This is another celebrity match. Uh, I thought Pat McAfee was fantastic, you know, uh, you know, pulling off what he was able to pull off with Austin Theory. I mean, I have to give credit to Austin Theory, too. Uh, But, you know, and I know I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth here because, you know I. Like I said before, I don't like it when, you know, Joe Schmo off the street, regardless of him being an athlete, can just step in the ring and be a wrestler. But, I mean, he showed us multiple times now at this point that he can not seriously get it done in the ring. I mean, you think about those multiple matches he had with Adam Cole and then this match. I mean, if he wanted to be a full-time wrestler, I feel like he could pull it off. Uh, he's just, you know, tons of charisma on the mic and tons of charisma in the ring. Uh, you know, and I mean, he was so over with the crowd. It was ridiculous. You thought it was like the second coming of Hulk Hogan out there. The way they mm-hmm. popped for him, you know, coming out. I was like, what am I missing? Like, I didn't know. If, I was like, Why is he so over? I didn't know if it was the the song or, you know, but he was incredibly over. And, you know, he got the fans like, you know, standing on their feet like the, the entire fucking match. Uh, Mr. Man ended up coming out. Uh, In the corner, which was a rumor that we heard, and And then after McAfee defeated Austin Theory, we end up actually getting another match with McAfee versus McMahon, which was rumored too when this before this match was even officially announced. Uh, That's probably on my low light. Oh, absolutely, (laughs) (laughs) right? (laughs) Because it was basically McAfee wrestling Uh himself. He literally had to run into McMahon's clotheslines. I'm sorry, a 76-year-old man has no, no business none, being out there no. in the middle of the ring performing. I mean, it was kind of sad. And I understand why they had McMahon out there. They wanted to give you know, the, the crowd that final stone-cold stunner, even though they botched uh-huh. the shit out of it. Um, but I don't think you needed to have a match between McAfee and McMahon to get there, to that moment. Like, you could have just had mcmahon attack mcafee after a hard-fought win against uh austin theory and that would have been fine that would have been enough to bring out stone cold i feel like
0: i was expecting him to restart the match like you know do some old school shit you know
1: (laughs) i mean there's so many ways we could have gotten to that Uh star. so i don't understand why we needed mr mcmahon going over on mcafee you know (laughs) like who did that help so that was a little strange to me um but i mean the moment with stone cold coming out again the pop that he got from the crowd i mean that was magical uh all the stunners even the one that mcmahon botched i thought was hilarious and i think stone cold you know being in good spirits about it really like salvaged mm-hmm. it um because he just started cracking up right away and you know WWE already with their edit aid, it's like it didn't even happen. So, um, and I, I guess McAfee is saying that that stunner that he took wasn't even planned. So uh, apparently they called that on the fly to give Stone Cold like one last stunner before he left, which I thought was a smart move because McAfee took that like a fucking champ. But oh, holy shit. I mean, the fucking stunner that fucking Theory took <laughs> was amazing, right? Like that guy jumped like 10 feet Almost in the air. Almost outdone the rock. was great. Uh, almost, man. That was that was fantastic. But anyway, yeah, that you know the stunners were all highlights. But yeah, the the match between McAfee and McMahon was uh, the lowest mm-hmm. of lowlights. <laughs> so other than that, Christian, the rest of the card was kind of a mixed bag for me. I mean, the one definitive low light was the Lashley almost match. I have no idea why they went six minutes. Mm. Like that match should have been three minutes tops. Because <laughs> that was it. It felt like it was about. Like four to five minutes too long. Like <laughs> Um, almost just looks awful out there. Um, and I was hoping that this was kind of like the nail in the coffin at least for this run for him, and that maybe he would go back to NXT and get some seasoning. But now on Raw, we find out that, you know, he's now being paired with MVP. MVP uh, yes. turned on Bobby Lashley and now he's managing almost. And I was like, okay, great. I don't think he- him having a mouthpiece was the issue you know i mean it will definitely help him being with mvp but he still has to wrestle like the bell has to eventually ring you know so unless mvp just uses him as a bodyguard I mean which i don't think is the case i feel like this feud between him and bobby lashley is going to continue and i i just don't want to see
0: it no oh, I'm, I'm i was getting real like you know great Kali vibes in, in this match so yeah and that's never no. a good thing um <laughs>
1: The women's uh fatal four way tag team title match that was also a mm. mixed bag. I, you know, I think the first half of it was kind of a cluster. Uh, they were able to save the match at the end where they started to kind of get in rhythm. Um, but yeah, overall, it was just kind of there. Um, I was a little disappointed that Rhea Ripley and um Liv Morgan didn't walk away with the belts, they felt like the natural choice. Uh, and it looks like they're already splitting those two. Oh, really? Up. Um, From what we saw on Raw, yes, it makes no sense whatsoever. It's like literally WWE right now has two storylines. Heels who blame the audience for their heel turn and dysfunctional tag teams. That's it. Like (laughs) those are their two storylines. And it's I don't know, man. It's just frustrating to watch. Um, But yeah, it, it doesn't feel like any tag teams allowed to have any momentum. So, yeah, I was definitely disappointed to see them already planting seeds for a breakup here between Liv and, you know, Rhea. Uh, There is a rumor that Rhea might actually be joining Edge's new group, uh, which we saw kind of form at Mania uh, in a match that I thought was, I don't know, kind of lackluster between Edge and AJ Styles, which is disappointing because it was one of the matches I was most looking forward to. I mean, they got plenty of time, but it was almost like too much time. I mean, I thought there were some really great sequences in the match,
0: but there was- where It was a- like the, the intensity at the beginning of the match was awesome, and I thought that first third was really cool, but then it just slowed down to a snail's pace okay. throughout the rest of it. I'm glad I'm not alone, and I don't know if I just wasn't too
1: invested in the storyline, or if it was just, I don't know, the lack of physicality sometimes,
0: like during the match- did 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 we ever learn why he came out with blood on his face? Like what happened to AJ? He Sons? ran
1: into part of the stage. Oh, <laughs> yeah, he ended up bumping into like something on the stage. I did feel like the last five minutes of the match was entertaining, and they really started to you know pick up momentum and felt like they were going somewhere. And then we got your lazy, typical distraction finish. You know, I understand it was storyline driven with, you know, Damian Priest, you know, showing up and kind of joining forces with Edge. But I would much rather have him like attack, you know, AJ Styles behind the ref's back than doing the lazy Mm -hmm. destruction finish because it just makes AJ look like an idiot out there. I mean, he's been wrestling for 20 years and he can't handle seeing someone outside of the ring (laughs) like that's going to cost him the win here. I, I don't know it, it just it's just lazy and we see it so much on wwe that i don't know I, I just i hate that fucking finish
0: it doesn't make sense for especially for someone who's been known to be part of factions and like have these types of matches regularly so
1: well you think a seasoned pro would just ignore yeah. anything on the outside of the <laughs> ring at this point because <laughs> if they're going to jump in you're going to get the win because it's going to be a dq so who fucking mm. cares right Uh, But anyway, I mean, I'm curious to see where this little union takes us. And like I said, there's rumors that, you know, Rhea Ripley might join. There's also rumors that uh, Ciampa might end up, you know, joining Mm. the group since he's being called up now. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, Their first promo, though, did nothing for me. Oh, (laughs) OK. Once again, you know, it's just both of them standing in the middle of the ring, Edge and Damien uh, just blaming the fans. So it was just like, my God, like an edge is such a better storyteller than this. So I, I don't get it. It feels like a carbon copy of what they did with uh, Seth, Seth Rollins, when he was doing the whole Messiah. Mm-hmm. character.
0: No, I agree. But on paper, I, I mean, I do like the idea of this team. Like I like these wrestlers working together. I think Edge, Ciampa, Rhea, and um, Priest would make an awesome fucking team. They just would have to do something with it. <laughs> I- yes, I agree. Because on paper, you're
1: right. It looks great. But yeah, the bell has to ring and you, you've got to tell a story mm. out there. Like, don't give me the typical bullshit. <laughs> and that's kind of what we've been getting. Um, another little light is uh, the New Day coming out and doing a tribute for Big E and then <sighs> losing in, in under two minutes. Uh, after having their match cut the night before, <laughs> I was like, why even bother? I was like, just... why? Like, they're wearing Biggie, singlet and everything. Mm. It was kind of like a feel good moment. I was expecting Biggie what it is, but I just I, I didn't understand the point of that.
0: Is is this what Butch does, Tim? Like, is this what. Okay. Because I, I, I haven't seen any of it other than him just standing around. So, like, seeing him just being a rabid dog and trying to attack everyone while in the dressed
1: ring. as a 1940s paper boy yeah no yeah. i don't
0: i don't understand okay. the points but whatever <laughs> uh yeah i was extremely disappointed by the new day losing so quickly it made no sense straps came off it's like it was just like kill time is pretty much what they probably told them to do yeah. you know give us a minute I guess. It just uh, felt like they
1: shoehorned them in to shoehorn them in because mm-hmm. they felt bad because of the night before. But I mean, at that point, like if I heard the finish and I was the new day, I'd be like, no, thanks.
0: <laughs> like they could have saved it for the Raw after or something. Something. Like they needed more time. I don't know.
1: Although, I mean, if they still get WrestleMania paydays, which I'm not sure about, I'm, I'm sure that's a pretty sweet check. So maybe they don't mm-hmm. want to miss out on that. And lastly, while it's not a low light per se, I did feel like the main event was a little flat. Um, You know, it it felt like every Brock and Roman match we've seen in the past.
0: Exactly. Like, I've I've seen them do this to each other so many times. Like, the taking off the gloves bit was fine, but the fact that Roman didn't do it in return, I was like, oh, okay, this seems like something that Roman would have responded with. Okay, you want to take your gloves off? I'm taking mine off. But... Beyond that, it's just like yeah, it's a it's a you know finisher fest, and it was yeah you know. yeah. I mean, the ending also
1: came out of nowhere. Um, yes, oh yeah, it was just like what ha- to the point where I was actually questioning because right before that, Roman's like gripping his shoulder and he's, he, mm-hmm. he's saying it's out, it's out. So I thought I was like, oh, did he legitimately actually get hurt? But it, it seems like he was just selling the uh, submission hold that uh, Brock had him in before. So, I, I just, I don't know.
0: It didn't do much Because he for sold me. it in the ring, and a lot of people have already been, like, analyzing this online. He sold it in the ring mm-hmm. after he's holding the two titles up. Yeah. But outside the ring, he seemed fine. Yeah. When he's up on the ramp holding And the night him. after, he seemed fine. And at this yeah, exactly. point,
1: we're recording this Friday morning, we would have heard something, you know, if he was actually mm-hmm. injured, I think. So, um, but yeah, no. It was an abrupt finish um, to kind of a lackluster match. Uh I am excited, though, to see where Roman goes from here, um, because I'm guessing probably Brock is going to be put on the back burner for a while now. Um, And I got to give him credit. I mean, compared to years past, I mean, this dude has been like almost on every Raw, it seems like, and every SmackDown. So Brock was definitely earning his check this time around. And I thought he did a great job actually, you know, seeming like he was like invested in being there. Like it seemed like he was actually enjoying himself and Mm -hmm. babyface Brock got over. So I just feel like the storyline kind of peaked with the Heyman turn, honestly, you know, where I feel like they could have saved that, you know, for mania. And that would have been a bigger moment, Um, you know, because after the the Heyman turn, it felt like they're kind of just treading water and just trying to get to this match, even though it was like a month or two out. But regardless, I have to applaud WWE for actually doing some like long-term storytelling here because this was basically almost a year-long feud. So while they didn't necessarily stick the landing for me, my hat is definitely off to them.
0: Well, it is getting to be that time where we need to end it. But what is your overall star rating for WrestleMania this year? Oh, quick honorable mentions:
1: Triple H, you know, retiring in the ring and like you know, starting off the sh- you know second night. I thought that was really you know a nice touch and everything. But anyway, star rating-wise, are we doing individual nights, or are we just grading the whole thing?
0: Uh, I grade the whole thing. I mean, unless you really want to say the different nights.
1: I'm going to say night one was probably four and a half stars for me. Uh, Night two was probably three and a half stars for me. So, altogether, I'm going to give it four stars.
0: How's that? I think, for me, night one was around a 3.5, and then night two was around a 2.5. So, I'm going to give it a three <laughs> altogether. <laughs> for my star rating that's fair man you do you you know Uh like i
1: said i this is the first wrestlemania in a long time that felt like wrestlemania uh we got a nice handful of wrestlemania moments which i feel like we haven't been getting in recent years uh Mm. and i don't know that's all i asked for from mania like you know besides all the pomp and circumstance i want some fun historic moments and and i felt like we
0: got plenty of those just you know stretched out between two nights no, I agree. I, there are moments that I can say actually felt like WrestleMania this time around, rather than what we've gotten in the last few years. So I'm, I'm at least happy with that, and I hope that they build further from there. I hope that they can plan for something you know worthwhile next year as well. Well, here's to hoping, and let's call it a night or a morning. <laughs>
1: Well, that does it for this week. That's right. And as a friendly reminder, if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, remember to subscribe, rate, and give us a
0: five-star review. Exactly. It sure does help an independent podcast like ours continue to grow. And while you're at it, make sure to tell a friend. Plus, if you like any of the stories we talked about on this week's episode,
1: make sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to catch the full articles, trailers, memes, and more.
0: That's right, you can follow us at Amazing Nerd Show on all social media platforms. And hey, if you're looking for extra content, make sure to catch our streams every weekend on Twitch, plus YouTube videos Monday through Friday. Want to support the show further? you can head over to tpublic.com and get yourself some amazing nerd show merch. We've got
1: t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd swag if you live in the United States.
0: Well, all right, Dan, what are we talking about next week? Well, next week, Christian, we'll be breaking down episode three of Moon Knight. And we'll be, of course, getting back into some AEW right here on The Amazing Nerd Show. My name's Christian. And my name's Damon. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show.
1: That person Edward. That person Edward. Big Brother Ed.